If you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. I think we got some ringing up here a little bit. Matthew chapter 6. Today we're going to finish up the series Devoted. And it's that whole idea, resolution to transformation. Again, it's not that resolutions are bad in and of themselves. It's just that we believe from reading God's word that he wants to do a deeper work in you than just a declaration of what you think you may want to do. It's a transformation. So today we're going to look at this whole idea of being identified through giving. One of our culture values here is generosity is common. And it's basically this idea that we are the recipients of the greatest gift the world has ever known. The, the gift of Jesus Christ that brings about life, grace, mercy, and freedom at no cost to us, yet at the highest cost to him. Because we have been freely given all of this, our only right response is to freely give. Therefore, giving out of obligation is the wrong response and unbiblical. Given as a part of our worship is a part of our worship. Our response is not to calculate how little we can return to him, but to realize that we are mere managers of all that he's entrusted us with. Generosity is not about our wealth as much as it is about our hearts and our confidence in God. And that's just one of 11 culture values that we have here at this church that motivate us, that helps us to determine what we as a church are gonna be about, what we're gonna put in front of you each and every Sunday as we gather together. And, and so these are important to us. We believe that we should be in a culture and really all churches need to be in a culture where generosity is common and, and that giving identifies us. Look at the introduction. The Christian life should be identified as a life of giving. However, this is not the case for many. For many is because they are in financial bondage and do not understand the role finances play in their spiritual lives. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus clearly outlined what it means to live kingdom principles, covering almost every area of life, including finances. So when you look at your life and you say, okay, God, what are you up to when it comes to my life individually? I believe you can turn to Matthew chapter five and begin reading all the way through chapter seven. And you really see a picture of the nature of God, especially demonstrated through Jesus Christ. And, and Jesus is preaching this famous sermon. And basically what he's trying to tell us is that there are certain things that God desires for you in many areas of your life. He covers everything from your prayer life to your thought life, to, to how to give. All those things are present in this sermon. Now, as it relates to this morning, what I want us to look at is the whole idea that many people that are probably sitting in this room are in some form of financial bondage. I believe the goal that God has for each of us is that we have financial freedom. Now, why would he want us to have financial freedom? Because I believe financial freedom gives us the ability to give, to give. I don't know about you, but many of you probably have heard my personal testimony along the way. Uh, I was, I, there were times in our life where we, weren't, uh, we were in financial bondage. We weren't good stewards of what God has given us. And God had slowly transformed us into to what it means to, to live kingdom principles and what it means to be financial, financially free that we can give. 
And it's been a blessing ever since we've made that transformation in now not being identified by the bondage that we're in, but being identified through the giving that we're capable of doing and desire to do. So many of us need to understand that God wants so much more for you. And part of it has this idea of a new pursuit of life in life. And that is, I believe, to be financially free. Financially free. So I want you to look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 32 and 33. Jesus is closing out this session of the this section of the sermon, it appears. He says, For after all these things the Gentiles seek. Now, what he's talking about, he's talking about these earthly pursuits. He's talking about earthly pursuits. Uh, riches. And anyone who's a Gentile would be someone who's not necessarily uh, in right relationship with God. That's what it's referred to many times in the New Testament. So he's saying those who are not in right relationship with God, they're all, they're, uh, their pursuits of life are always earthly. Earthly pursuits. That's the way they value things. For your heavenly Father knows what uh, knows that you need all these things. He's saying there are certain things that are there that you are going to need here on earth. And he, he's going to provide them for it. He's already told us this in the preceding verses. But he says this, get your priorities straight. Get your pursuit straight when he says this. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his ways, his, his ideas, his perspectives, and all these things that you are so worried about, all these things that you think you need, he provide those for you. And he's basically looking at the idea of our pursuits. Now, let's keep looking at this idea. Oswald Chambers, many of you know him as the guy who wrote the devotional that's hard to understand. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, that's that guy. But anyway, here's a quote from him. The Sermon on the Mount is, is not some unattainable goal. It is a statement of what will happen in a person when Jesus Christ has changed their nature by putting his own nature in them. And y'all, that is the transformation we've been preaching about for the last six weeks. The whole idea of transformation. Now, let's go back and revisit something in review. Ephesians chapter four here on the screen. It says, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, meaning this, that what Jesus said is true and that his pursuits are now your pursuits, he says this, that you put off concerning your former conduct. He could have easily said your former pursuits, your former passions, your former perspectives. He says that your former conduct, the old man, okay? Did you know there's an old man living inside you? That's what it says right here. That the old man, the one that was there before Christ began this transformation process. He, he said, he's growing more and more corrupt according to the deceitful lust the earthly pursuits, the earthly passions. And then he says this, and be renewed, put off the old man, be renewed. What does it mean to be removed? Have, have a change of perspective, a change of passion, a change of pursuit. Where? In the sphere of your mind. And what will that allow you to do now? That you may put on the new man, the new person, which was created according to God. God's intentions the pursuits he desires you to have in true righteousness and holiness. That is heavenly pursuits. So what are we looking at? Well, look at the transformation equation. It's not the first time you've seen it, but it's the idea of putting off, 
putting off our old perspectives, putting off our old passions, putting off our, our old pursuits. We're going to renew our mind. We're going to bring it under. Literally, it means to look at it carefully, bring it under the surrender of God's word. And now we're going to put it on. We're going to put something on. Okay. So really, when you think about it, when we began, when we were singing earlier, that whole idea of coming out from the darkness and out of the grave, it's the same terminology. It means the same thing to put off, trans, uh, to, uh, renew our minds and put on. So we're literally called to do what we sang about this morning. So here in Matthew chapter six, Jesus not only taught on a life identified through giving, but then Jesus modeled it the years he walked on the face of the earth. He not only taught about how we as Christians should be identified by our giving, he modeled what it looked like fantastically, beautifully through scripture and through the life he lived. So to follow his example, we must come to a proper perspective on riches, on what we see as truly valuable. And he covers that in Matthew chapter six. The first thing we see here on your outline is a contrast about two kinds of riches, two kinds of things that we value. First of all, there are earthly riches. And here's what we find out. First of all, earthly riches are not the best investment. They're not. Look at verse 19 of chapter 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Don't put your idea of value on anything that this earth can possibly give you. Okay? Those pursuits will lead to something else. Now, why is it that we get caught up in these earthly desires? Here's some reasons why. It's because they are seen and can be handled, right? We can see them. We can handle them. We even have a, a, a media that's out there telling us how much we need these things, right? We got, we got all kinds of things out there. How about this? They are sought by most people. The people around us are seeking them. So if they find value in it, maybe we can find value in it, right? Isn't that how we go about these earthly things? Uh, how about this? They, uh, they are trying uh, varying degrees uh, necessary for life. They are present with us now and can be possessed right now. When it comes to heavenly values at riches, what you'll find is they're out there. The Bible promises they're out there. But the reality of those things seem to be far from us when we are involved so heavily in the earthly riches. Okay? So he's saying this is not the best investment, not the best. Secondly, earthly riches are also corruptible. They're corruptible. Look at verse 19 again. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. It's that whole idea that everything in this world, how many of you have noticed this, you've lived long enough to see it, decomposes, ages, decays, and eventually dies. How many of you noticed that? About everything. I was out with my oldest grandson, another grandchild story, sorry, but it fits here. And, and so it's just he and I were riding down the road and I said, I looked at him, I said, man, it's hard to believe that in five years, you're going to have your license. And, and he looked at me, he's like, I don't know how to drive. I said, 
I mean, you gotta understand, this kid is very deliberate. I mean, he just speaks it, you know. I said, well, me and your dad, we'll teach you how to drive. We'll bring you over here to the church. Let's just ride in the parking lot and that kind of thing. And, and we'll just teach you how to do it. I said, by the way, I said, do you like my truck? He's like, he looked around. He said, kind of old. I said, yeah, yeah. I said, you know, it's been my life. I've had it for 11 years. I got some miles on this thing. I said, how would you like to have my truck? When, you're, when your dad says you can have a car, he looked around and he just kind of looked. He said, I don't think so. <laughs> I'm sitting there like, this is my truck. This thing's been a part of my life for 11 years and you're just kicking it to the curb. You know? I'm sitting there thinking, what in the world do you want, kid? You know? <laughs> but you know something? He looked around and he saw something decomposing. He saw something that was... Uh, <laughs> had a little age on it. And then this next question was, how old is this truck? You know, but, but it is, everything has the seed of corruption within it. It's this idea, it's the fact that they are corruptible. It also carries the idea that they have the potential to corrupt us. Now, how do they have the potential to corrupt us? It's because we're drawn to it in such a way that if we're not careful, we will do things to have those things. In the process, it will corrupt us. It will create something in us that God did not necessarily want in us. And one of those things could be bondage, financial bondage. And we find it here that these things are corruptible. Lastly, earthly riches are not secure. Look at verse 19 again. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Earthly riches, think about it. They can be lost, they do not last, and they waste away. They will not leave this world. They will stay right here when we're gone. Those things will stay here. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. I mean, it's that whole idea. How many of you ever seen a hearse with a U-Haul trailer behind it? That would be free. Matter of fact, I almost want to go do that. You know, I don't go to funeral. I'd like to just kind of say, I mean, it doesn't happen that way. I heard many years ago, someone loved their car so much that they were literally, they buried the car with them sitting in the driver's seat. Yeah, it did. It happened. I, I mean, think about that. We can't take it with us. It stays here. They're not secure. So in verses 19 and 20, Jesus is contrasting earthly riches with heavenly riches, heavenly riches. Now, what are some examples of heavenly riches? I mean, there's, there's endless supply, becoming a true child of God, godly relationships, a blameless life, the forgiveness of sin, wisdom, purpose, and meaning, a life that's abundant, an enormous inheritance that is eternal. The Bible goes on and on and on and talking about these heavenly riches and that these are the things that we should pursue. So look on your outline. Heavenly riches are the best investment. Look at verse 20. He says, but lay up for yourselves. Here's your contrast, the word but there. He's saying not, not, not the treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. In heaven. Now, how much true value is there in something that passes away or perishes? There's not a lot of value to that. 
Matter of fact, guess what? Your body, <laughs> this is going to hurt, has no value. Isn't it amazing how much attention we give it, though? I mean, listen, as I say many times, I mean, there's nothing wrong with looking your best, okay? Please continue to try. It's very helpful up here. When... <laughs> but let's face it, sometimes we get a little carried away, don't we? So sometimes we put more emphasis on the outer parts of who we are than the work that needs to take place on the inward parts of who we are. We discussed this past Wednesday night in our Bible study on Wednesday night about how he's instructing the women to not be so caught up with outer adornment, but to, to focus on what's on the inside because there's gonna come a time where, where that beauty will be fleeting. How many of us have lived long enough to see that? Yeah, you didn't have to raise your hand, but anyway. <laughs> We've seen it, haven't we? We don't recognize ourselves anymore. Many times we're so caught up pursuing the things and riches of the world that those things, uh, that to the, those things begin to define us as a person. But that should not be the case. There's been a time in our life, in my married life and with children, that bondage identified us more than anything. You know why? Because we were fighting and working and trying to get out from under this thing and, and trying to, and, and basically, if you would have said, okay, what identifies you as a person? During that time, I probably would have told you our bondage. I go to, I go to bed sleeping about it. I think sleeping about it. I go to bed thinking about it. I wake up thinking about it. I'm trying to move. How many of you ever been there? And it's so true. And it's that idea that, that he wants so much more for us. In Luke chapter 12, verse 15, a man's life does not consist. It could also, I went and did a little research. It says this, a man's life should not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. He's basically saying that our lives should not be identified with what we possess because that means we're in pursuit of those things. When Jesus said, hey, if you go over here and you seek the kingdom of God first and you seek those heavenly things, those heavenly values, and guess what? The other part would just kind of be added to you. But he's saying, don't let that be your pursuit. Let it just be something that God brings into your life. The heavenly pursuit. Next, heavenly riches are incorruptible. Verse 20 again, but lay up for yourselves treasures in earth where neither moth nor rust destroys. Pretty cool. Now we kind of, I think many of us have kind of lived past the days of moth destroying our clothes and things, you know. But it is that idea that there's things that are in this world that will take things away or, or, or do away with the value of those things. Everything when you think about, about it. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And here's what he's done. To an inheritance incorruptible. We now have an inheritance not perishable. It's not perishable and not defiled and that does not fade away. These things are reserved for you in heaven. Seek those things. If we did, I want you to think about this. If we did basically pursue those things that we truly should value, we would be different people. 
we would be different. There's some people that I know, and, and I've, I've known many of you, I've known some of you for like 30 years. I was talking to someone a while ago about how long I've known some people. And, and I can tell you that knowing those people for as long as I've known them, I've learned, I can, it's almost like now in my mind, they're identified as something. And for some of them, they're identified by their prayer life. Many of them, they're identified by their gracious giving. Uh, and it doesn't have to be financial giving. It's just giving of themselves, giving of their time, investing in other people. I've seen that over the years. And the thing that we need to understand is what we pursue is truly what we value. So next, heavenly riches are secure. Look at verse 20 again. It says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven when their moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. No thing or person can take away a person's heavenly riches. The bottom line, look on your outline. When it comes to riches, God desires that a person's heart be aligned with his own. Look at verse 21. For where your treasure is, is where your heart is or where it will be also. What you're pursuing, the type of treasure you're pursuing is where your heart's gonna be, okay? You know what, can I give you another way of looking at it? It's how you'll be identified. It's how you'll be identified. Next, a warning about two kinds of hearts. Isn't it amazing how God is very interested in your heart condition? He's very interested in that. So from the person's heart flows the direction of the person's pursuits and their identity. Where their heart is turned is what they're pursuing. It's what their passions will be. So look on your outline. A good heart is like a good eye. Look at verse 22. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, meaning if it's healthy, if it's clear, it can also mean if, if it's focused on a single devotion, that all those words would work there, or phrases, your whole body will be full of light. Now think about that. When he's talking about the eye, he's talking about your heart. And, and he's really talking about the whole idea that, that if it's there and it's good, it's healthy, it's clear, it has a focus of single-minded uh, devotion, only good can come from it. So there's two things concerning the good heart and the good eye. Look on your outline. Number one, they're not deceived. They're not deceived. They're, there's no darkness there. It's light, okay? The heart is in the light. The, uh, second of all, it focuses on the heavenly. Focuses on the heavenly. And then second of all, a bad heart is like a bad eye. Look at verse 23. But your eye, if your eye is bad or unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. Now, how many of you know that's true? If you're blind, there's going to be a measure of darkness to your life. And so he's talking about a physical thing, but he's really trying to apply a physical, I mean, a spiritual context to it. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Think about it. Once you turn darkness loose, it can go anywhere. It has a potential to go anywhere. It can create all kinds of problems. Look on your outline. If you have a bad eye or bad heart, you're deceived. 
You're focused on the earthly. Think about it. Your pursuits, your passions, everything that you're finding value in, when you get to the end of the life, when you're laying there possibly on your deathbed, guess what? That may be the time you find out, oh my goodness, I've been pursuing, have passion, my perspective, totally wrong. Totally wrong. Matthew 6, 22 and 23. This is from the Amplified Bible. Let me read it in that. I think it brings a lot of clarity. The eye is a lamp of the body. So if your eye is clear, that means if it's spiritually perceptive, your whole body will be full of light benefiting from God's ways, okay? But if your eye is bad, spiritually blind, your whole body will be full of darkness and devoid of God's ways. So if the very light inside you, your inner self, your heart, your conscience is darkness, how great and terrible is that darkness? It's talking about the the possibility of just how dark it can get. So he's very clear on this warning. Now, when it comes to this, why is the eye mentioned when it comes to the heart? Here's what you need to understand about this. The eye is the gate to the soul. It's the entranceway to the heart and mind. What a man or person looks at or focuses on is what he or she thinks about. And what a person thinks he or she becomes or pursues. If a person's focus focuses upon or pursues heavenly things, eternal things, then their heart and mind will be full of light. But if the, heart, if the focus of the heart and eye is, is deter, if, if, will be determined if a person is earthly-minded or heavenly-minded. Now, in the context of finances, let me just say this. Earthly-mindedness can bring bondage. If your whole life is in the pursuit of earthly things, You're going to want and want and want and want and want. Heavenly mindedness can bring financial freedom. And we're going to talk more about that in just a moment. Now, look on your outline. Next, to overcome financial bondage or to be identified in through giving, we need to realize that there is a choice about two kinds of masters. And this is Jesus again, the most important sermon I think ever preached. Look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, mammon would be money or the things that money can buy. You can't serve both of them, okay? Now, Jesus warns that a choice has to be made between two kinds of masters. Now, why is it that one will be loved and one will be hated? Here's the reason why. They're not moving in the same direction, So if I'm pursuing one, I'm walking further away from the other. And then I'm going to grow resentful for one over the other. One of them's going to meet what I think are my needs. And the other one, I think I probably will be deceived if it's the earthly part, is going to carry me further away. So a choice must be made, pursue God or the heavenly things or the world, money or pursuits of things, Those are earthly things. So he says there's a warning. And then lastly, there's a choice about two kinds of masters. The first is serving money and it can bring bondage. Another way of looking at this, serving or pursuing money or what money can buy 
and bring it about the bondage. So what are some symptoms of bondage when it comes to our finances? Well, investment worries. It's the whole idea of storing up, storing up. It's where investments are constantly on your mind. For some of you who have a 401k or some kind of uh, investment, the Bible talks about investment, doesn't, doesn't rule that out, doesn't say you shouldn't do that. It says a prudent man does those things. But if every day you're waking up to see how the markets are performing today, and, and you're basically, you're, <laughs> you're more identified by that if it changes the inward parts of who you are. I heard a lady one time say, <laughs> She didn't even have to look at the market. She could tell how the markets are doing by the attitude of her husband on that day. You laugh at that, but that's true for many people. They're being identified by their investments and the storing up. And by the way, the more you have, the more you worry. The more you start, oh my goodness, that's bondage. You say, you're sitting there saying, you mean to tell me if you got enough money for you to worry over, that's bondage? Yeah. If you wake up thinking about it, go to bed thinking about it, wonder what's happening to it. How about this one? Overdue bills, spending out. 80% of Christian families today either suffer from overspending or have suffered from it in the past. 80%, eight out of 10 people. Here's one you probably didn't think about. Get rich quick attitude. How many, ever met, how many of you have ever met these people that's looking for the, the quickest way to make the quickest buck? They're constantly pursuing it. Oh, man, if we do this, oh, if we just do this, this will happen. Constantly on their mind. What does the Bible say? Pursue those things that are of God. How about this? No gainful employment. Bible says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, for even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone will not work, neither let them eat. Now listen, this is not talking about people who aren't capable of working. That has nothing to do with it. I'm glad, I'm glad we have a government that graciously helps in that situation. And it has helped many. But, but the, what Paul was, what's, Paul is the one that wrote this verse. What he's talking about is when we begin to take advantage of other people and we're not willing to do our share. That's what he's talking about. That's the symptom of bondage. How about this? Symptoms of bondage, covetousness. It's where you set your goals and standards for buying based on, it's where you should base it on conviction, not based on what others possess. Here's what that looks like. It kind of covers this in the next one too. How in the world do they afford a house that big? We make just as much as they do. You seen that car they driving? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Covetousness. You can't be driven that way. Keeping up with the Joneses. I, I don't know. Anyway, maybe it's a different name for you, but just keeping up. Resentment. Here's what resentment says. Thinking that God's thinking that says, God has not given me what I feel I deserve. It's like, look at Bob and Bobby over there. 
Can you believe we have a Bob and Bobby in our church? A Bob and Bobby. It's, it's almost like we must be soulmates. Look at the name. You know, no, I'm messing with you. How, how about Dan, Daniel and Danielle? We, <laughs> I mean, I even know a Joe and Joe Rica. I'm like, what? Do people change their names to? <laughs> but it's amazing how people come together. It has nothing to do with what I'm talking about, but other than the fact. <laughs> I happen to see Bob sitting there. I'm going, I'm going to use Bob. And there's Bobby. Okay, well, anyway. The average American, listen, this will blow your mind. The average American lives better than 95% of the rest of the world. 95%. Symptoms of bondage, money entanglements, unmet family needs. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Timothy 5. But if anyone does not provide for his own, his own family, and especially those in his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. If you're not responsible for the ones God placed in your life. Y'all, I've seen men buy toys over meeting the basic needs of their family. I've seen that personally, firsthand. How about this one? Unmet church needs. Malachi 3.10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Basically saying that the needs will be met in the church. And try me in this, says the Lord, I will not, if I will not open up the heaven, windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessings, there will not be enough room to receive it. He's not only talking about what the person who gives and how they'll be blessed, he's talking about how the church would be blessed. There'll be more than enough to meet the needs of the people who show up here at the church. To build the buildings that are necessary, to send to missions and, and, and continue to support and send out. So we see all these entanglements. Next, a choice about two kinds of masters serving money brings bondage, but also serving God brings blessings. I don't have time to go through all this, but look on your outline. What will he bless us with? All the necessities of life. Now, some of you are sitting here saying, necessities, what would you consider necessities? Necessities. Some of your lists are longer than the person sitting beside you. You know that, right? Uh, I didn't have a, uh, enough room to write the verses, but this relates to verses uh, 25 and 26 of Matthew 6. How about this one? When we, when we serve God, it brings blessing, freedom from anxiety. That's chapter 6, verses 27 through 31. Serving God brings blessings, joy, and contentment. Matthew 6, 33. Abundant and eternal life. Not just the reality of when it comes, but also the reality that it is here. Matthew 6, 33 also. So here's the application. The process of financial freedom. Number one, daily surrender to God every financial decision, no matter how large or small. Go to him. It's called lordship. It's a pretty big deal in scripture. Number two, accept God's wisdom for every decision. Number three, give the minimum testimony to God of his ownership, and we would call that a tithe, 10%. Number four, willingly seek to share with others, even if it requires a sacrifice to do so. Do so. That's sacrificial living and giving. That is a life identified by giving. And then in conclusion, here's where I want to leave you this morning. Life is about our pursuits. What are you pursuing? 
A better question may be, what are you identified by? This morning, you're sitting here. You've heard what the Bible says. You've heard it from the words of Jesus. Listen, are you identified by your bondage or your giving? Let me, let me tell you this about my journey as a Christian and see if you can identify with this. When I was in bondage financially, I honestly felt this way. I felt I was not living the life God intended me to live. When I was in financial bondage, I honestly felt I was not living the life God intended me to live. Now, did that mean God owed me more? No. It means I needed to be a better steward that I could align my heart where his heart is and that my life could be identified by giving. By giving. Not just of my resources, not just of what he's blessed me with, but of myself, investment in others, whatever that may look like. So this morning, I don't know where you are, but I sincerely want you to consider and evaluate what are you pursuing in life and how are you identified? When other people think of you, how do they think of you? Would you stand to your feet, please? We're getting ready to have an invitation. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I don't know where you are this morning. Maybe you've never taken the first step of coming to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Today, we want to invite you to make that decision to follow him. Maybe you're a Christian and you've heard a sermon like this this morning and, and you're like, you know something? I, I've kind of lost sight of what I should be pursuing. I've kind of lost sight of the fact that there's a big eternity that's awaiting me and I want to align my heart where God's heart is. Maybe there's someone in this room that you're where my family was some 25 years ago at the point where we were identified more by what we were in bondage to than, than our giving and identified by that. And you know, you know, deep down, you know that the life God has provided for you, the life he provides is, is, is just not what, it's not what you know it should be. And you, you really want to move from bondage to that life of giving of yourself. I've been there. I know. Maybe this is a church home God's called you to be a part of. And we've mentioned first thing in this sermon, this whole idea that, that, that we want to become a, a group of believers that meet here at this location that are known for our generosity. Known, and we want to be identified as a church that gives. I thank you that this church gives so much of its budget to missions and basic ministry needs around here. Father, I thank you for that, that we're a busy church. We're, we're all about the Great Commission and we even wanna do more and we know there's areas where we need to be challenged in, in, in those areas. But Father, help us to continue to pursue your heart as a church, also as individuals. Father, we thank you for what you're gonna do in Jesus' name. Would your heads bowed and your eyes closed? Myself and another pastor will be here at the front. If you need to pray with someone, we're right here. If you need to get around this altar, here it is. Would you sing with us?